Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Now the horn, it is a top of the charts Tuesday. That's when Patrick plays jams. I reached the top of the Billboard charts on this day in history. Um, man, I, this is—I know the song really well. I wish I could tell you who sings it, but I don't. I know the song, but I don't know. You know the song? Can you <laughs> uh, yeah, addicted to love, right? It is addicted to love. I sung by love. Robert Palmer. Is he a one-hit wonder? No, no. He's got a few hits. He's got a few hits. I know the song though. It was in a lot of 80s movies and stuff. As yes, a kid it was. Yeah, ton- like, it was like five movies I probably can name right now that had this song in, it in some scene or something like that. Very popular in the movies in the 80s. There you go. I'm an 80s baby. Most of my references come from bad 80s movies. This was in a lot of bad 80s movies. <laughs> um, really big hair, shoulder pads for the ladies and yeah. stuff. It also had a Weird Al uh, cover, Weird Al parody. What is it? Uh, addicted to Spuds. About being in love with potatoes, <laughs> potato chips, french fries, and sorts. I have no idea why Weird Al still makes me laugh. Right it, it, he's great. It's, it's great stuff. Addicted to spuds. Addicted to spuds. Well done. Well done. I still have yet to watch the movie. You got to watch it. And it's I, so good. I have it like on my queue, ready to go. So one weekend when I got time to watch the movie, I'm going to watch that Weird Al movie that my man Patrick recommended because you said it was pretty good. Is it Daniel Radcliffe, was it? Yes. Is it Daniel Radcliffe? Yes. Which is... I didn't think it, but when you see it, it actually works. It works. Rain Wilson's in it. Ah, I love Rain Wilson. Yeah. All Good. right. He's he's never in really anything. He's very selective. Like uh, Dwight from The Office. Yeah. He never really works. He works. There's very, you know, kind of, I don't know, it's very sporadic. Yeah. I, I think he chooses these very random roles. Yeah, because he did a few right, right when The Office was hot, and I don't know if any of them hit real big. And maybe he just decided. And then, ah. so I think The Office started to get worse, and he, he was like, you know what? Let me not do... 20 bad movies and completely wreck my name. That's a good point. Ah, you might be right about that. That You might be right about that. That makes sense. All right, let's get into the NBA playoffs uh, because uh, there's a lot that's going on there. Matter of fact, Specs text line for you guys on the uh, Specs text line, 512-337-3776. Please hit us up and give us your thoughts, questions, and comments. Also, you can use the Twitterverse. My man Harge is getting ready to go uh, call the game with Craig Way, the voice of the Longhorns. Texas baseball coming your way at 615 right here on the Horn. Um, so we're done at a little bit early today, but you can hit him up via Twitter and you can cyberstalk my man uh, Patrick at It's Patrick Davis Harge at Hardball Harge. I'm at Rod Babers in the Twitterverse. All right, Patrick, let's dive into this Lakers 3 1 now series lead over the Warriors. Uh, seems like you know this series may be over. That may be all she wrote. Fat Lady ain't totally you know sung yet, but she's definitely warming up. 104 101 win for the Lakers in game four. And let's start with the biggest storyline of the game, which was someone you know really well. You're really familiar with him because you're a Spurs fan, Lonnie Walker. A very An unlikely hero yeah. in this game. But 15 points in the fourth quarter 
for the Lakers. Even LeBron said it. We don't win this game if not for uh, Lonnie Walker and what he was able to do those 15 points. He had nine shots in the fourth quarter. That was more than Anthony Davis and LeBron combined. And he also, with his uh, six made field goals, he ended up hitting, uh, making many field, as many field goals as the Golden State Warriors in the fourth quarter, too. So he was playing like a man possessed. You know his story really well. He's gone through some trauma and ended up with the Lakers. Um, I mean trauma as a child, not like in the NBA right now. Um, But he revealed that. He's been very open and forthcoming about that because he wants to be uh, an example for others who've gone through some things that they can overcome. Uh, But he, you know, he's he's struggled a little bit in his NBA career a little as as well, being a firm first round pick. Finds himself with the Lakers. Hasn't really caught on with the Lakers until. The playoff until last night in the fourth quarter where he had 15 points and basically outscored the entire team in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and I mean, we see this with a lot of guys that are kind of around that pick in the draft, those like 20s and then that pick of a guy who has all the talent in the world and you can see it and there's stretches where you go, oh, this guy can put up 30, 40 points in a game pretty easily on one night. Mm. But then the next night he may come out and shoot 0 for 14. And so it's just fun trying to put that consistency together. He did a lot at the Austin Spurs and would could dominate at the Austin Spurs. Just athletic freak. Athletic yeah. freak, but just super talented and works very hard at his game. And I think it just it's been it's been a long line of that. When he came to the Lakers, he was playing a lot when they didn't have any other depth. When they started to make some of these other trades, he wasn't necessarily working out perfectly with LeBron and A D and the slower lineup they started to bring in. Because he wanted to run the court, and when they had younger guys and they were just basically trying to run because that's what the young guys do, he fit in better. Once they went into more of a half-court offense, it seemed to hurt his offense a little bit, and he wasn't necessarily pulling guys out. They also wanted more guys that were consistent three-point shooters to be threats so LeBron could drive or AD could be in, and they would have to get out on him. His three-point shot wasn't following, so he kind of fell out of rotation. Mm. Yeah, you put got to put shooters around LeBron. Yeah, Everybody knows and, and so it was just he kind of fell out of rotation, but then he has that game – uh, game two, when it's a blowout in the fourth quarter, the scrubs come in, right? And he comes in in that game and plays really well. And so Darvin Ham gets to see a look at him again, see him playing, and playing smart basketball even though they're down. He's not somebody who's just trying to throw up shots. and whatever. So he gets a little bit and they go, mm-hmm. you know what? He can actually do some things we might need. And so because he took that time seriously, even though the game was over, he gets a shot and they start putting him in because he's able to run with he's able to run with this Warriors team. He's able to wear them out by coming back down and playing in transition, and then just understands the game plan and understands which shots to take. So he wasn't necessarily the three point shooter in this game, but he was able to drive on these guys and and create shots where he was shooting really well. And I know we, we talked about earlier with Harge is that shot he hits. He hits a couple shots. And they're like, oh, Lonnie Walker's looking good. And then he gets open in the corner and air balls a three. And you're like, well, that was a that fun was story. Yeah, fun that was a fun story, but <laughs> I think it's time is over now. <laughs> Darvin Ham's about to pull him. They ain't going to throw the ball. And they actually do the opposite. So feed Lead him in there. And they go over and talk to him like, hey, no, no, steal your game. Like, you're playing well right now. They can't guard you right now. And they're trying to stick everyone on us. So if you keep doing this, two things will happen. One, you will score a lot of points, and they're never going to switch over. Two, they switch back over, and in the, at the end of the game, AD or me is going to be wide open, and, and no one's going to be able to guard on us. 
So they basically played that game. They never adjusted back over. Yeah, because I, I wouldn't need them. Like, yeah. at one point, Make, Lonnie Walker's yeah. not going to score 15 points yeah, in the you, fourth quarter. If you tell me the guy who didn't play in the first in the game one didn't play in the previous series, exactly. and I got to pick between him or the great, one of the greatest of all time and a guy who is a dominant MVP caliber player, yeah. I'm going to go with the guy who hasn't, he didn't play last series. But you just didn't know he would have – he'd score more points in that uh, playoff – basically more points in that quarter, in the fourth quarter, than any quarter uh, in his playoff career, yeah. basically. So that was his greatest playoff quarter ever. And <laughs> gets some big quarter. rebounds, plays some good defense. Uh, he's the one that was uh, on Draymond Green when Draymond Green did the jump pass and threw it away there at the end of the game. So just uh, in a lot of plays where he was in the right place at the right time, uh, it's just it's such an awesome story it's because he's a really story. good uh, young man. So it's really cool to see what he's been able to do in this game. And it's fun, too, to see after the fact, everyone kind of just being like, that's awesome. And I saw a bunch of Spurs players were tweeting out stuff after the yeah, game. Yeah, I love that picture of LeBron and AD. And they're like, yeah. cons- like just loving on him and consoling him. Yeah. It's kind of emotional. It's like, because you know, if you, and I encourage people to go do their own research on it, but as a child, he went through some traumatic stuff. As a, and yeah. he's been very open about that. We're not going to get deep into it, but, and I believe with his teammates, he's probably been, or they know that, and they've been very open about yeah. that stuff. Too. And I think they've seen his work ethic. I think they saw that when he went to the Lakers, people were kind of talking trash on him because. People wanted him to go to another team, or people wanted him to get a, a bigger chance. And when you go to play with LeBron, they're like, well, you're never even going to play. You're not going to do anything. You're not a fit and everything else. And you could see why a lot of guys in this league love LeBron is that he's been working with them and being like, no, man, you, you got the right attitude. Keep working. We'll find it. Keep working. We'll find it. And he said in his post game, he goes, I just told him, he goes, you don't know. He's like, you just have to work as if you're going to play every game. And if you don't, you don't. But you have to be ready because when they call your number, it's going to time, and his name is all over everybody's. Everybody is on everything. Everybody's lips on NBA coverage right now. Uh, man, you're talking about uh, basically Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson have scored what 29 points in games three and four, and Lonnie Walker has 27 points in the last two games. Yeah, that's crazy. It's, that nobody would have thought that, but no. it goes to show you how deep this Lakers team is. We nobody knew they were this deep because they're talking about playoff depth. Yeah, you, well, we, you know, these guys may be deep in rugby season, but this is playoff depth, and these guys are performing and having big games in the playoffs. Hachimura, uh, hell, now, you know, you got this great story here with Lonnie Walker, um, whether you're talking about Schrader's and other guys. I mean, they got a lot yeah. of— this is, Vanderbilt's this, had some good Vanderbilt games. Vanderbilt had that great game. So, you know, it's they've been able to find a lot of depth, and that's where the Lakers just did a really, really good job at the at the trade deadline, where a lot of teams made that one big move and lost depth. And then, for whatever reason, didn't try and take the the next step. Like, I get you're giving up a lot, but when you give up so much for one player and then you don't try and make the second move, it always doesn't make sense to me because you're like, you can go get some other depth real quick for a second-round pick or, you know, maybe a down-the-road first or something, and you can really help your team out. But you're banking everything on that. That one move. That you bet you made a move that should be fair. Yeah. And but it's going to help you win. But you're like, no, no, now you got to go get the rest of the guys to, to replenish. To support, to support structure around yeah. that big move. And the yeah. Lakers kind of made some big moves. They got really lucky that there were teams that wanted to get rid of guys that, like, D'Angelo Russell trade worked out perfectly for them. That you're able to get a guy like that, that has a lot of talent. 
that they were just really ready to get I, rid I of? I feel like one some some game Mo Bamba's gonna get in there and have a great game for the Lakers. Well, it's just like that's like the the theme is that they just put it, they 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 starting to just rotate guys in and find different matchups for guys. But and, and for Mo Bamba, I they keep reporting that he has an ankle issue, and that's one of the bigger okay. reasons why he has not had been playing a ton because it's been an issue for a while, and so he hasn't practiced as much as he needs to practice with this team. And that's what they're saying. So either they're saving face for him by saying all this stuff, or legitimately could be very real that he's just been a hard, have a hard time staying on the court. Yeah. And if you don't practice, it's hard to get into the games when you're not the top guy. What happened to Gary Payton uh, the second? That was a weird because that was actually a good move by Steve Kerr. He ended up starting Gary Payton yes. in that game. That was one of his adjustments. And I listen. I know people are getting on Steve Kerr and talking about how Steve Kerr's you know getting out coached. Now, there's no doubt uh, Darvin Ham's doing a great job with the Lakers. Yeah. But I will say I think it's less about Steve Kerr's lack of adjustments and his lack of coaching prowess. I think he's making some some really good adjustments. We saw the um, the Draymond Green starting uh, Jamichael Green. I know that wasn't all him. I think that was Looney was sick or something yeah. like that. But that worked out. Helped him spread the floor, putting Draymond Green on AD for a while. Uh, that helped a little bit too. And even recently, starting Gary Payton the second. Hell, he was. He was like seven of, of of ten or seven of nine, I believe, before he left the game. He left the game because I think he basically got sick during the game. There's yeah, like a they video were saying, of him like basically holding back vomit. Like yes. he's getting ready. So to, I, I don't know what. Like, maybe he got the same thing Looney had. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Maybe BG. Jordan Poole bought some leftovers from that five hundred <laughs> million, five hundred thousand dollar dinner. Whatever. It's video literally of him trying to uh, you know hold back being able to yeah to hurl on the floor and he runs out and then he's excused. But either way. Um, so there are some moves being made by Steve Kerr, um, and even go look at some of the pick and roll numbers, and you can tell that he is trying to be a little bit more extreme in some of his adjustments. But LeBron and AD are so adaptable in the way that they can uh, contribute and what they can um, do as offensively and defensively, both ends of the floor, that it really has negated a lot of his adjustments. AD's been unbelievable. I mean, I, I gave the example earlier. You go look at that uh, that play without 32 seconds left, I believe it is. The is a 102-101 score, 30-something seconds left in the game, and Steph has got has basically they've been able to arrange a one-on-one with Steph and AD on the perimeter. And I guarantee every Laker fan out there is holding their breath and thinking, this ain't going to be pretty. Uh, they're only down by one, and they got Steph with the rock, 30 seconds left. AD is great, but you got a big man, a true big man, which are rare in the NBA anyway, uh, on the perimeter versus Steph. Steph had two shots at it and couldn't get enough separation to get the space and get the look that he wanted. Now, he may have been greedy. As Hart brought up earlier, he wanted that three. You're only down yeah. one. You could have taken two and been fine. Um, but – you know, the Lakers have just done a really good job, and AD and, and LeBron, I think, are the big example of being adaptable and being able to counter whatever adjustment is made by Steve Kerr and the Lakers. Yeah, and I mean, I think we can put on that one that they've tried to go so much on last-second shots and plays. They went to Clay's taking them, uh, Jordan Poole's taking them. I think they may have been like, we have to put the ball in Steph's hands. So no one else was really moving. There was nothing, wasn't really a lot. You kind of have to have other things going on. You're playing an ISO, which allows LeBron James to step over into the paint and get a little bit closer to where if Steph draws, then LeBron can go in. No help defense. And if LeBron's helping off on somebody who's not necessarily the best three-point shooter, if he's, if he's on Draymond or somebody like that, that you're like, well, we can't. It's not like I can drive and dish to him because they'll just let Draymond shoot it. And, I mean, he may hit it, but you're going to let him take that. 
you're not going to hardcore run everybody running at him and open up Clay Thompson or open up somebody else to hit that shot. So I think there was something to he didn't really feel comfortable going to the basket because he went, well, I'm still I still got to take the shot. Yeah, it's going to be him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he now was told, I got, you're taking the shot. Now yeah. I got two superstars trying to block my shot. That's fair. So if I can get him, but the problem was he couldn't ever get him to fully commit to the drive. And he's so damn long. That, that you it, gotta you, get him fully committed. Yeah, like, you oh, gotta boy. get him a step back so you can get that shot off. And then yeah, the second one, Draymond Green gets a rebound, definitely should have just gone back up on that yeah, one. Yeah, that was weird. And he, it's not weird, it's just Draymond doesn't think like as good as he is at some areas, other areas he just doesn't like when he knows he's not hitting shots, he will be completely devoid. I you've watched I've watched him before, fifteen feet away from the basket, catch a ball and pass it with no one near him. And where his his brain, he's just not thinking Oh, I'll attack right now. Yeah, he thinks. Oh no, no, I'm I'm not scoring right now, so I'm just gonna pass. I'm not in mode. And you're like, dude, you literally let the defense reset because there was no one on you, and you had the highest percentage shot closer to the rim. Yeah, you could (laughs) have driven to the basket and and dunked it, and no one was gonna stop you. Yeah, you might be right about that. It's uh, it's interesting too with Golden State. And I saw this stat. They, in terms of free throw line, we talked about the free throw disparity. I believe after game one, and never really went back to it. Now, after game four, the Lakers have shot 52 more free throws than the Golden State Warriors in the series. Yeah. that's uh, And I, I, a big part of that was probably in game one more than anything. Um, but they have an 83-36 to 36 advantage from the line. They the do. Series. And, I mean, and it's funny, Huge. but it's but this is also you can't go, man, they're getting more fouls. They're also being way more aggressive. No, no, exactly. They're being – Steve Kerr brought this up. Oh, we have, this, we have some audio of this, right? You, you did pull you – you pulled some audio of Steve Kerr. He actually brings this up. That That's a great point because he – and I, I, it's a backhanded compliment kind of for the Lakers actually because I think he's trying to – it's probably a message, more smoke signal to the referees and the officials more than him giving a compliment to the Lakers. But he brought this up. Here is Steve Kerr in the post game after the Golden State Warriors loss. Steve, you mentioned giving up that lead in the fourth. Just what did you see transpire throughout the fourth quarter that allowed the Lakers to, to get back into this? Well, Lonnie Walker came in and uh, you know made uh, a huge impact, I think. Uh, I don't know if he scored all those points in the fourth. It felt like it. Um, but, um, you know, you, that's a lot of times that's what the playoffs are about, you know, um, close game and somebody coming into the game who you don't expect to make an impact. And, you know, that player... Um, Makes a makes a bunch of shots, makes some big plays, and uh, so I thought the fourth was about uh, it was about Walker, and it was about I think we had three or four illegal screens um, called, and um, that was disappointing. I didn't get a look at at uh, the replay on any of them, but um, you know the, there were a couple that were very disappointing just live. Um, but you know the Lakers are uh, you know they're a team that that plays with a lot of gamesmanship they understand um, you know how to how to generate some calls I thought they took some flops and and um, were rewarded but I'll have to see the uh, uh, the replays maybe I'm wrong maybe those were all illegal screens but uh, didn't feel like it watching it live all right so there's the uh yeah kind of the, the signal to the officials I will say though Patrick Golden State they're Bottom three in free throws attempted in the regular season, and the Lakers are a top three team in terms of drawing fouls in the NBA. So that does kind of track, but you're right. They're just way more aggressive. They've been rewarded yeah, for Yeah, I mean, and look, they got the call of that jump ball that should have been a foul in the corner. I get you can say it's jump ball. Wiggins had his hands around him. Mm. It's it's you, I just don't like those calls, but you got that call. You were, Steph Curry was able to f- jump in and grab it. 
and just throws it away. Like, you got a couple calls at the end of that game. They've called pretty much every time that the Lakers have tried to get a charge. They've gotten a block pretty much every every time, and there's some of those 50-50 calls. So I don't think it's been crazily one-sided. Mm. It's just the Lakers are driving the paint way more, and especially LeBron James and Anthony Davis. They're going to get calls. They're going to get calls, and Steph would get those calls too. Clay would get those calls too if they wanted to do it, but they're just not trying to go at them at that hard. Uh, Jordan Poole is the other big conversation topic when people are discussing this series. He is having an all-time bad series. He has not hit a three-pointer since game one <laughs> of this series. He is 2-13 and 13 in the last two games. Uh, he was essentially unplayable in game four toward the end. They played him two minutes in the second half, 10 minutes total in game four. What do you do about Jordan Poole, Patrick, if you are Steve Kerr? I mean, at this point in the series, I mean, he's, you just, I mean, maybe you still can use him in a series. Maybe you can kind of revive what's going on with him. I'm not saying that Jordan Poole is lost as a player, but definitely right now he seems to be on a struggle bus. And, yes, we know Cameron the rapper went off about Jordan Poole, and he claims that Jordan Poole spent $500,000, yes, on a date with Ice Spice. We know it's out there. It's just a rumor right now. It's for rumor. And if he's doing stuff like that, that just goes to decision-making, and he's making some bad decisions on the court, too. <laughs> yeah, if, if I'm Steve Kerr, I'm taking one of my assistants, and I'm like, hey, I need, I'm going to go to my video room and be like, I need you to put some get together some Jordan Poole, like what we want him to be doing, good plays and good shots and stuff like that. I'm going to take an assistant and have him pull him aside and try and get his confidence back. But we saw what it was. Is he had that game where he heat-checked and just took too many bad shots, and afterwards they put him in timeout, and he has been a pouty little boy ever since that he got put in timeout. Mm. And that's basically, it looks like a guy who doesn't have confidence because he goes, oh, I have to be I have to be this gambler to be able to play. And they go, no, you don't. You're not always that guy. Yeah, but for whatever reason, <laughs> at some point in this series, you figured out I, the only way I'm effective is if I shoot anything I see. And that's just not the way it is. And so they put him in timeout. He's played a very different style of basketball since he had those number of terrible shots. And uh, what was that game one? Game one. And he hit a couple of those terrible shots. And he shots. hit him, but he just took <laughs> so many terrible shots that they put him in timeout and played him less minutes. And I think getting yelled at by Steve Kerr probably, getting embarrassed in the film room, just destroyed his confidence. And I think you have to try and rebuild that. And I get you really don't want to have to – you know, try and give confidence to a guy, but oh. you need him because other than that, your only real hope is Clay Thompson gets hot again. And right now, Clay, Clay, and Steph they went six of twenty three from three point range in Game Four. Yeah, because Steph, I mean, Steph look, is working so Steph hard. Steph may get another everything. fifty point game, but a fifty point game out of Steph right now basically tells you you're losing the next game. Yeah, because you're going to wear him out. Yeah, to get that and 50. I mean, he had a great line, stat line. I mean, he was rebounding. He was he had thirty point triple double. Yeah, we even talked. He had thirty one points and fourteen assists. Uh, he had a thirty and ten rebounds, thirty point triple double. He was yeah. unbelievable. It's his third thirty point triple double of his career in the playoffs. You're right, he was great, but it did. Yeah. It, it took every bit of him to get it. Like they, they zapped. They basically the, the Lakers. They're making him work so hard uh, that for that thirty, man, he's given oh, probably three, four times what he usually would do in the regular season to get that thirty point triple double. So I'm with you. I think the Lakers. They're going to close it out. I mean, they are undefeated. Well, LeBron, I should say, not the Lakers. LeBron, he is 17-0 in playoff series when he is up 3-1. And the Warriors, 
one in 14 all time when they're trailing 3-1 in a best of seven series. Yeah. It would tell you that this is pretty much over. Yeah. It, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to. They look, the, the Warriors have looked tired this entire series. And other than game two, but even game two, they were done. Like pretty much everyone was on the bench by the third quarter. But other than that, they've looked really tired this series. And so I don't know how you win three straight if you look tired. Agreed. But, I, I'm with you. And, but I will say this too uh, for tonight's game. Man, if Devin Booker and Kevin Durant can put on a game like they did this weekend, just I have to mention Devin Booker went Devin Booker. fourteen for eighteen, yeah, three for four from three, in a game where he was the guy that they were like zeroing it on and trying to make sure he couldn't play. That dude still shot fourteen of eighteen. That's insane numbers. Twelve assists in that game too. It's it's insane what he's how well he's playing right now. Over the last two games, um, Devin Booker, who's the uh, the scoring leader, if you will, of the playoffs, he's scoring leader in the playoffs so far. He he was he hit, he hit thirty four of his last forty three shots. First player in NBA history to notch thirty plus point games on seventy five percent or better shooting in back to back playoff games. It's crazy. So nobody's and, ever been that and, hot in back-to-back games. The worst playoffs. part is he has to do that for them to have a chance to win. That's the worst part is you go, oh, so they ran away with it. Like, no, they barely won again. Barely won. Him and KD basically have to combine for 80 points a game. I know this one was uh, was only 72. But only point, 72. Yeah, say, but you have to be combined damn near because they had a Shamit came out and had a good game. But you can't rely on anyone this bench having a good game. So they have. To, you're looking at KD and Devin Booker. Basically, have to put up eighty combined points to win this game. I love this stat too. Uh, so Kevin Durant right now basically providing the second like you know pairing of this uh, scoring uh, d- duo of the Phoenix Suns. He's averaging thirty. They're the first duo to average thirty or more points during the playoffs since nineteen sixty two. Jerry West and Elgin Baylor. <laughs> These are some crazy. Like we've never seen anything like this. Not in our time. We've never no. seen anything like Devin Booker and Katie. So you're right. It is must watch television. They they're gonna be in the game, but it's only because those two guys are gonna each score, like you said, close to 80 points combined. It's crazy. It's just it's so crazy to watch because <laughs> Denver knows what's going on. Everyone in the building knows. Well, it's like it's Duraner. Or Booker. But I will say the Suns bench has picked it up the last couple of games. They have. Now, they they, they had no bench at all for most of the playoffs. The last two games, the Suns reserves have actually outscored Denver's reserves, 65-31. So, and the Nuggets obviously were dominating that area. So, you're getting some life. Uh, from the bench of the Suns, and maybe that's all they need when Devin yeah. Booker and KD are playing at this high level, like something we've never seen a duo this prolific in the NBA since 1962. Yeah, and I'll tell you this. <laughs> if if the, if the Phoenix somehow wins this series, then I'm like, Chris Paul, stay home. Stay home. I get you. I get we think we need you. Is but, he, is he, oh, so he's back for Game 5, right? Is he, is no, he, no, no, I don't say, think he's back. He's not back for Game I, 5? I can't imagine he's back. I know they were saying they were going to evaluate him in a week. Oh, okay. I, I can't. But I'm, I'm – it's – You're saying don't rush it. I'm saying do not rush it because if the bench can pick up and play better when they don't worry about Chris Paul staring over their back and making him play a specific type of basketball and get a little bit more loose and you can get a little bit more into playing a however you're going to play, 
Yeah. Then that may be what you need to do. And then you go on the other side. You got that prolific duo, scoring duo for the Suns. We just gave you the stats how we've haven't seen anything like that in the modern era of the NBA. And then you got Nikola Jokic on the other side, who what did he drop a fifty? Yeah, fifty three points. Yeah. And- <laughs> Scored a franchise playoff high 53 points in game four. With 11 assists. (laughs) That is a, I'll tell you, that's a fun series to watch. Just watching those three. This is superstars playing. And actually Murray picked it up too. Yeah. For Denver. He's playing really well. Yeah, Jamal Murray's like, I'm having a really good series. And how am I fourth? Yeah, exactly. No, he's averaging 30 points on the last two games. <laughs> and he had a 34-point game in game one. And you're right, he can't even he can't, he can't hold a candle to Jokic or Booker or KD. That is a – if you're the NBA, that's exactly what you want. And that series is t- tied up 2-2 right now going to game five. Hopefully you get seven games out of that one. Um, all right, we come back. We'll get into Rod's round the day. Uh, on three, they're ranking all the position groups in college football, and they're on the offensive line now. They showed a lot of love to the Longhorns. I'll talk about why that could end up helping the offensive identity of the Longhorns coming up this season. All of that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie on 104.9 The Horn. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God, okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. What's oh, you've done it now. It's time for Rod's oh. rant of the day. Hold on to your butts. Welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. I want to get into these on three rankings, uh, positional rankings. They're, they're ranking all the positions in college football. Um, we've gone through a ton of them already. Texas wide receiver group is number two. Uh, Texas, uh, based on on three rankings, the quarterback room is number three. Three based on these quarterback, uh, sorry, the, their quarterback rankings. I believe the tight end position for Texas was number three as well. They didn't have the running backs for Texas ranked. That makes sense. You're losing Bijan and you're losing Rojo. Hard to replace those guys. But um, uh, those are the skill positions that were ranked for Texas by on three. And I believe it's Jesse Simonton is the guy that's uh, ranking these positions. They uh, put out their offensive line rankings most recently. Um, and they have Georgia at number one. You got Michigan at number two, Notre Dame at number three, LSU at four. You got Texas at five. You got Texas right ahead of Alabama, who they'll see uh, in the regular season early on the non-conference. Got uh, Texas ahead of Utah at seven, USC at eight, Florida State at nine. Oh, and another team they'll see, Kansas State at ten. You're talking about Kansas State. And the Wildcats, uh, I think, and Chris Kleiman's a hell of a coach, too. They like to play a physical style. They're going to miss Deuce Vaughn. I mean, Deuce one of those players like Bijan, uh, almost irreplaceable. So tough to replace guys uh, that are force multipliers and cheat. That's human cheat codes like Bijan and a Deuce Vaughn. But anyway, I digress. Getting back to it, Texas offensive line ranked as a top five line, which shouldn't be, you know, that surprising. They return all the starters on the offensive line, and that's big in itself to return all the starters on the O line. But in addition to that, uh, most of those starters on the O line, Kelvin Banks being uh, one of those guys, um, you know, they're veteran guys. Um, but you recruited in 2022 the best offensive line haul in all of college football, and actually. If you look at the ratings and the uh, individual uh, scores, uh, ratings for the offensive line players that Texas recruited, it was the highest rated offensive line recruiting hall in five years in all of college football. 
Yeah, over the Bamas and the Georges, anybody. That was a hell of a recruiting. Also, shout out to the BMDs, big money donors and boosters, but also the Pancake Factory was a big part of that. Um, but it was all hands on deck. So getting back to how this affects Texas, because they do have a an, an embarrassment of riches on the offensive line. They got a ton of depth in addition to – you know, the, the guys they bring back, you got Christian Jones you're bringing back, you're Jake Majors, you're Cole Hudson's, you're, you're Kelvin Banks. Uh, but then you got guys like Peyton Kirkland, uh, Connor Hayden, Connor Robertson, uh, Emeo Zulu, uh, Cam Williams, Malik Agbo, DJ Campbell, you get it, right? Um, they're really, really deep on the offensive line right now. Well, maybe one of the, it's a lot of unproven commodities for the most part, but a ton of high upside there. And the upside of the offensive line is not really even the guys that are returning as starters for you. Those are just a lot of your veteran guys, except for Kelvin Banks, who talk about a guy that made himself a whole lot of money, which we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but Kelvin Banks last season, even as a true freshman, had one of the best seasons for any player in all of college football. And I'll give you the stat on that in a second. But Getting to the offensive line and why I think it can help, uh, really help forge the offensive identity for Texas this year. I was listening to a coaching clinic with Kyle Flood speaking to a bunch of coaches, and he revealed in this coaching clinic that they love what they call Big 12, Big 11. Um, and that's basically a sixth offensive lineman they add to whatever personnel package it is. Last year, it was usually 12 personnel. So they would have JT Sanders out there at one tight end, and instead of having Gunnar Helm at a tight end, they'd put Andre Carrick out there as a sixth offensive lineman. And he still he ran a route like one or two times, but very rarely if they run him on a route. They probably need to start trying to run him on whoever is going to play that role, run them on one or two routes just to keep the defense honest. But ultimately, it was just to solidify pass protection and add girth to the O-line and to add numbers to the running game. And they call it their, they call it the Big 12 package. I call it the bully ball package. All right, they, they play bully ball when they get that extra lineman. They were doing this even at Alabama and even, and going back with Kyle Flood and, and my research, Kyle Flood and Sark were doing this at, in Atlanta. They were doing this all the way back to their NFL day, something they picked up in the NFL together, and they brought it to Texas. And he says Texas wants to play their Big 12 package 30 to 40% of the time. I was a little surprised, like, whoa, 30 to 40, that's a lot. Like half your damn offense. You just want to be out there with a sixth offensive lineman? They really like that package. Now, they last year weren't able to do that. They played a lot of the sixth, oh, the bully ball package or the Big 12 package, as I call it. You go look at the usage, they were probably in it 15, a little over 15% of the time. They had that sixth offensive lineman out there, Andre Carrick, and it worked out well for them. I think they want to get more out of that package this year. I think they want, they want more. They want a, a more dominant run game out of that package, which is going to be tough because you lost Rojo and Bijan. And last year, they averaged over five yards per rush with that sixth offensive line match. But that's not, that's not phenomenal with Bijan and Rojo in the backfield. <laughs> Bijan and Rojo in the backfield, I mean, those guys alone are averaging down to six yards to carry. So it, I, I don't think it gave Sark the confidence in the running game that he would like to play bully ball, just have his offensive lineman pushing guys around. And we know Texas offensive line couldn't play bully ball because look what happened in that Washington game without, Bojo, without Rojo and Bijan. Ain't no bully ball. Not at all. All right? So I, the offensive line in terms of run blocking actually has some ways to go. That's on Kyle Fluff this year. But they, get, they got all the upside in the world. And you could argue Texas offensive line – Talent-wise, they're as deep as, you know, 
95% of the teams are deeper than 95% of the teams out there, except for your Georgias, your Michigans, maybe your Ohio States, those types of institutions. And, and right now, probably in that conversation with some of those teams based on the on three rankings. They really want to get that bully ball package going with six offensive linemen. Like I said, last year around 15%. And even the passing game out of it, I went and looked at the, because I went and did a deep ball, deep dive, if you will, and rabbit holing about the deep ball. And I, what I found is that Sark loved to take his shots with that sixth offensive lineman in there. And they were mostly play action shots, right? Because you got six offensive linemen. Most people believe, oh, they got six O linemen out there. They want to run the ball. Right? You present power personnel packages and pivot to pass principles. I know that's a lot of P's and alliteration, there, but you get it. <laughs> um, and Sark would do that. He'd put that sixth offensive lineman out there and that big 12 package, the bully ball package, and when they threw the ball deep, 20 yards or more down the field, 92% play action pass rate when they had the sixth offensive lineman out there because they – they're playing mind games, all right? Defense starts thinking, thinking run, thinking heavy uh, personnel groupings, and then we can catch the defense off guard when they try to sneak in the box and they try to get an advantage in the numbers in the running game. And when, you, when a team has a sixth offensive lineman out there, of course you want to put another guy in the box. They got six offensive linemen out there. You may decide to put a linebacker, another extra linebacker out there. You may decide to roll your safety up because, man, they got six. If they don't have the numbers advantage, they certainly got the, the girth advantage, the size advantage. So it's all about Sark playing those mind games, and the, and I think this year they'll be better equipped to run the sixth O-line, O-line package than last year, not only because of familiarity with the system, they'll just have better and more freakish offensive linemen. Like I said, those guys don't run routes, so they're not, they're not worried about that. They'll just have another big, giant human on the offensive line to push uh, defensive uh, linemen and defenders around. So watch out for this. Last year it was at 15.5%. I predict this year. 25, 25% of your, of your usage overall of personnel groupings may break down to six, their sixth O-line package. They're not going to take JT Sanders off the field. They don't want to do that, but they do want to run the ball more and to substitute or to compensate for the loss, I should say, of losing Bijan Rojo. How about just more girth on the line, more size on the line? And that's one of your strengths. That's one of your deepest positions. Is your O-line. Put another one out there. And instead of the extra tight end, God bless Gunnar Helm. I like Gunnar Helm. You like Gunnar Helm. Gunnar Helm's going to get his reps, but you may be better served at times, situationally, matchup base wise, to put that sixth offensive lineman in there. And I don't know who that's going to be, but it, you got an embarrassment of riches to choose from. It's, it's great. DJ Campbell or Cam Williams or, you know, Emil Zolu and Pat, Peyton Kirkland. You got a ton of talent. So watch out for that. And I think that's why. You should be excited. Yes, Texas has a really deep O-line and a lot of returning starters coming back. But I think actually Texas is going to be one of the pioneers in college football with this bully ball package. I was shocked to hear Kyle Flood say, oh, no, we want to run it 30 to 40 percent of the time. So I thought 15 percent was pretty good. No, they want to they want to up that usage. So if they're going to be close to 30 percent of the time. They they're going to be taking shots in that package deep downfield. And they want to be able to run the ball out of that package. And it's really one of, it's kind of a feast or famine thing. They want to be able to just run the ball out of it or take shots deep downfield. They don't want to work quick game. They don't want to work intermediate routes. It's either we're going to run it down your throats with these big bodies or we're going to use this extra big body to block in pass protection. So Quinn can have time to look downfield and chunk them deep balls. Do you think you could run JT Sanders just over the, the linebackers 
and get him some huge plays from that. Oh, Even yeah. though it's not deep, but yeah. just past the linebackers. Yeah, because you can just have a long, drawn-out route, right? It could be a delayed release from him, yeah. and you give him extra time. And you're right. You can, and, it's, it's, a long, it's a long, delaying route, a drawn-out route. It's not deep, but it takes a while for it to develop. It, and, once you, and if you get him right past, then it's basically just safeties because everyone else is going to be pushing up to play the run. You get him there, and you go. Well, JT, you got to. You basically have to pout, stiff arm two safeties. Or and, and you're right. And the window should be bigger because, like I said, nine. Most of those the shots plays from yeah. the six line package are play action pass. Yeah. So you'll get that linebacker creeping up, or you'll give him the peak in his eye discipline. I'm with you. I think it's a great. I, I'm in fact, I would take. I'd probably take two deep shots with on both sides of the field, and then bring him as a long deep crossing route. Yeah. And just ask him how you need to lose that linebacker and get right behind him. Just right behind him. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I, I mean, you're going to see a lot of that. You're going to see a lot of it. And why wouldn't you see it with, considering how deep Texas is on the old line? All right. We come back. Uh, I'll give you that stat that I told you about Kelvin Banks. I forgot to give that to you. And we'll get into some off the record. Right here on Ball Don't Lie, 1049 Welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 1049 The Horn. It is a top of the charts Tuesday. That's when my man Patrick plays jams. That reached the top of the Billboard charts on this day in history. This is that kiss and tell, wishing well song. Wishing well, yes. Is that what it is? Is it wishing well wishing the name well. of it? I know the kiss and tell is also in the chorus. I can't tell you things that don't know that. So it, he's changed his name as well, but it's Terrence Trent DRB. Oh, yes. Remember Terrence Trent I am DRB. familiar. I'm familiar. Okay. Yeah. Wow, good job on this one. I heard this song in a couple of decades easily. Yeah, no, he's he's one of those guys if you can go back and listen to like even just the greatest hits, you'll just be like. He's got more than you think? Yeah, you're, well, you're just like, man, this guy was just groovy and funky. But I think he fell in that range. He was a little bit too much like Prince or, Certain, or Michael or Jackson. Like, those guys where people are like, well, you're a cheap version of that. Yes. So he's not appreciated in the, in the sense that he could have been. I'm with you on that. That's a good point. Yeah, athletes are like that sometimes. They're too yes. much like other athletes, so don't, they don't stand out enough to be yeah. appreciated. I'm with you on that. Um, all right, my man Patrick, always doing a great job DJing a Top of the Charts Tuesday. All right, uh, w- one quick piece of sound, then I'll give you the stat that I promised you. So Rojo's getting rave reviews with the Bears already. There's a lifetime loan going up there with the Bears. One of my good friends, uh, Richard Hightower, we used to call him Peanut, Coaches up there. I uh, played with him. He coached for the 49ers for a while. And now he's a special teams coach, I believe, with the Bears. He tells a story about Rojo setting the culture already. Here is a, here's a, a good Rojo Mojo story for you. Quick story about him. You want to talk about who the man is. Yesterday in our meeting, and I don't even know if people know this, but yesterday in our meeting, uh, we got done with everything, and all of the guys left out. And it just showed me a little bit about the man. And there were some water bottles, like sitting. Some guys didn't pick up their water bottles. So he's getting ready to go to the next meeting, and he asks a question. And then as I'm walking out, he goes and cleans up the room, you know, cleans up, like, the water bottles. And that just shows you that he's going to be – he wants things the way he he wants it. He wants things tidy, and he's going to hold guys accountable. So when I saw that, I mean, that's just who he is. He didn't like how the room looked. Guys had water bottles left. He picked them up, threw them in the trash, and then went to his meeting. So just you guys are going to like him a lot. And I think he's a hell of a running back too. So, All right, be the change you want to see in the world, Patrick. That's what Rojo's all about, damn it. 
Uh, I'm lucky to have him as a Longhorn as long as we did. Uh, I'm with you. He didn't transfer in the transfer pool era. Think yeah. about this. I mean, the guy had a chance. He would have started at running back for, I don't know, 70% of the schools out there. Oh, so so important. He's, he's one of those guys that you could say it even two years ago, but when Sark era came in and he took over as a leadership role, you're like, he may not see the success that he starts, but any success that the Sark era has will – he will be a massive part of it because of his leadership in the early part of it. God planted the seeds. There's no exactly. doubt. He, he, yeah. he, he was a big part of planting those seeds of the culture. And because he was a quarterback, I mean, you didn't have – even Quinn Ewers kind of admits that he was not a vocal leader last year. We know that. He had his struggles. I mean, he's going to come out on the other side of it. You needed a vocal leader at the time. Bichon's not a vocal leader. Bichon admitted he's very humble, not a vocal leader. After that tech loss, you know who called the meeting? Rojo. Rojo was like, nah, nah, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta get this straight. We got there's a certain standard we gotta play to, guys, and we didn't play to it. It wasn't the quarterback, and it wasn't your best player. It was Rojo. You can make the argument that was Rojo's team last year, even though the guy was a backup running back. Uh, love me some Rojo. Okay, oh, here's stats. I told you I'd give you. Sorry about that. All right, here, Kevin Banks. He faced four first round draft picks last year as a true freshman. Will Anderson, who went number three overall. Tyree Wilson went number seven overall. Will McDonald went number 15 overall. And Felix Anudike Uzoma went 31st overall. He allowed zero, zero goose egg sacks versus four first round picks last season. Only allowed four pressures and had zero penalties. So when all the scouts were watching film of all these players, they kept asking, who is that true freshman? What the hell? Who is that guy? And he kept coming up. And that's why in a lot of people's, you know, guesstimation, projections, he's already the top offensive tackle prospect in the 2025 draft, potentially. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Zero sacks to four first-round picks. He made him look bad. He did. Make, he made him a non-factor. Yeah. Which was crazy to think. Um, all right. Uh, there you go. We'll come back. We'll wrap it up. Put it in the oven. Last segment of the day right here on Ball Don't Lie. Wonderful. Nothing. Right here on 104.9 The Horn. It is a top of the charts Tuesday. Very rarely do we get hip hop on top of the charts Tuesday because, uh, I mean, you got so many of the Billboard charts to choose from. That's when Patrick plays jams that reached the top of the Billboard charts on this day in history. So usually, considering the very short, brief history of hip hop, what, 50 years old, we don't get a ton of it. But, uh, yeah, Biggie definitely tapped the Billboard's charts the top yes. of it a little bit. Yes. And uh, this, is what, this is actually not one of my favorite B.I.G. songs. No, but it makes sense because it is the well, hit. It's a radio, the radio hits, and that's what P. Diddy was all yeah. about. But P. Diddy's, you know, uh, his stuff was obviously made for the clubs and for the radio. But this actually did don't make it in my top five of Biggie Jams, I don't think. No, but I mean, top five for Biggie's, he's got what? 15, 20 that you could go. He's I got some great, exactly. So it just, I'm going back to one of the albums, but you're right. Yeah. In terms of his radio releases and, and those types of hits and club hits, yes, I imagine it's one of those. But man, if you go deep into the uh, discography, I guess what yeah. it is, right, of, of, of B.I.G., and he wasn't here that long, 
Uh, May's got some jams. Just just a lyrical beast. Um, so there you go. little B.I.G. for Top of the Trudge Tuesday. We're off a little bit early. We're off uh, for Texas Baseball at 6.15. So uh, shout out to Texas Baseball man Mike Hardball Harge. We'll be on the call with Craig Way, the voice of the Longhorns. Okay, before we get out of here really quickly, let me give you some uh, Burn Orange Kool-Aid because we've been talking about this all day long. Um, the uh, Texas Longhorns in the way too early preseason polls. ESPN has them 10 um, I believe CBS Sports has them 17. Sporting News has them 14. Uh, DraftKings put out their over-under win totals for Texas football. They had them at nine and a half, which honestly at this point for me personally, and also there's a 247 article uh, that is predicting Texas in the college football playoff along with Michigan, Ohio State, and Georgia, I believe. Now, usually we try to you know temper expectations. Uh, you know, We advise against getting – Wasted on the burn orange Kool Aid in the off season. And you don't want to get the sugar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we don't want you to get exactly. We don't want you to get the diabetes drinking so much of the burnt orange Kool Aid and loading it up with sugar in the off season. The question is, the, this Kool Aid is it Kool Aid or is it Flavor Aid? I always say Kool Aid, Kool Aid or Flavor Aid. All right. I don't want the Flavor Aid. I don't want the fake stuff. Mama tried to buy that stuff, and it would just sit in the pantry. Say, "Why don't y'all want this Kool Aid?" And we say, "Mama, cause it ain't Kool Aid. It's Flavor Aid, and you don't know the difference. And that is a damn tragedy." Okay, so Sark he knows the difference. Ask Sark about Kool Aid and Flavor Aid. He knows the difference. We want the Kool Aid, not the Flavor Aid. Unfortunately for Longhorn fans, for the last ten plus years, we have been sipping on most of the time it's Flavor Aid, and we don't realize it's Kool Aid until deep into the season. We go, "Damn, they just put a lot of sugar in this Flavor Aid," and that's why I started well, drinking it. You know, when you drink Kool Aid and you drink Flavor, why? <laughs> you're drinking it, it's fine. It's that aftertaste. <laughs> it's that taste. But after it's happening, you just, uh, oh, uh, what is that? What is, uh, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> oh, that's not even a flavor. And let's be honest, guys. Orange Kool-Aid is the worst Kool-Aid. All right? Do, we, uh, is that even, do people even drink orange Kool-Aid? No, no, it's not. Okay? All right? So we don't even, in the Kool-Aid world, it doesn't even really run us. We're talking about the, 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 the theoretical, hypothetical burnt orange Kool-Aid. And I will say if I'm taking the over nine and a half wins, I'll take the over. I'll take the over. And you guys know I am not one to throw on the burnt orange glasses and drink the burnt orange Kool-Aid. I think there are two, even Sark says this, that his roster does not have a weakness. So there are two things that are going to hold Texas back from winning double-digit games, competing for a Big 12 title, which I think are the expectations. If Coach Sark does not evolve into being, from right now, an above-average coach, winning 55 56% of his games, to being a good to a great coach. Good coaches win at least 60% of their games. You can't even get into the Hall of Fame unless you win 60%. That's why they're having a conversation about Mike Leach. Got to win at least 60%. And that would mean, next year, winning games like the Washington game, uh, the TCU game, the Oklahoma State game, or the Tech game. I'm not going to get on them for the Bama game. Lost the starting quarterback during that game. That's tough. Uh, but the rest of those games, those are games you got to find a way to win. Or you got to win half of those games. And that's the thing that will hold Texas back. And if Sark, who is the quarterback whisperer, the quarterback nurturer, the quarterback guru, if he cannot get Quinn Ewers to evolve his game to the next level. If those two things, all right, end up blowing up in Texas' face, then they won't meet expectations. And we'll all learn later about the aftertaste practice talking about that we're drinking flavor aid. I'm saying Quinn Ewers will take it to the next level, and I think Sark's going to take his games to the next level. So I'll say Texas is competing for a Big 12 title next year. If they're not, we'll be back here to burn it all down with you. All right, oh, thanks to my man, Patrick. Uh, Texas Baseball coming up next. Remember, the revolution will not be televised. We'll talk about it right here on Ball Don't Lie. We love you guys. We mean that. Take care of yourselves, but more importantly, take care of each other. Craig Way and my man, Hardball Hards, coming up next on the call. Peace.